Welcome to the Lives of Courage podcast with me, Jessica Stong. Each week, we'll look at ways to choose courage every day, as I know even the smallest acts of courage matter. Through inspiration and action, we can grow into who we are truly meant to be. So welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, welcome to our podcast today, our Courage in Action interview with Jenna Quinton. Jenna is so charming and thoughtful, and I'm so excited to share her story with you today. She's a mom, a wife, and a business owner. She's one of the most thoughtful people I know, and here's the thing. She just took her dream forward and created a business to change her life and the lives of her children and family, really. Her business is Adjust Your Media, and you can find her podcast, too, at Adjust Your Vocabulary. It's clear she's passionate about words, passionate about making a difference. Enjoy this episode, and I can't wait to hear what you think on Instagram um, and Facebook, and I also hope that she inspires you to be a big deal in your life. So enjoy. Have a great one. Okay, so to me, your life is like a fairy tale, Jenna. Oh, it thank is you. so incredible. So you're a writer, and you met this incredible man who's French, and you lived in France for five years, and you had a baby. How many babies did you have when you were in France? We had two in France, and then we've had two since we moved back to the U.S. Oh my gosh! So tell me, let's first start with your family because I never know where to start, right? Yeah. Like this is incredible. So tell me about your a little bit. Of, about your family? So we have um, three boys and one girl, and the oldest right now is almost 10, and then the baby, Teo, is one. Teo? Yeah. Oh my gosh, that is so exciting. And we had briefly talked about this. Can you speak to what it's like to raise kids in the U.S. versus raising kids in France? Yes, and so um, part of that um, is just the difference in location mm-hmm. because Luca was born in the city, in the city of Bordeaux. So we were living in a little apartment yeah. and, you know, no backyard and everything. Right. So um, there was one day when we were walking along the river and he tripped and I picked him up and his hands had like beer glass in them. And I was like, <laughs> we have to leave the city. Right. Like, this isn't fun anymore. Right. <laughs> so, That's it. Yeah. So then with Maya, we lived in a little village oh. and that was really sweet. And there was... Um, we could walk along the the Lisle River and things, but um, it was also the kind of small community where everybody already knows each other. Right. Yes. Um, and so there, um, I was a stay-at-home mom for the whole five years we were there, and there aren't a lot of stay-at-home moms in France, so that was pretty isolating. I can um, yes. And the differences too of. French children go to preschool when they're three. Mm-hmm. And that's just really a widespread general rule. Yes. So people ask me in the grocery store why my three-year-old wasn't in school. Oh, I would not have thought of that. Yes, because yeah. they would see this child and wonder. Yes. So um, those were some differences. But there's so many wonderful things about having children in France. Um, the the wonderful foods that everybody expects children to eat. Right. They're like, just eat your goat cheese. <laughs> Here um, you go. Yeah, and I loved that perspective. There's also, I feel like, somewhat of a, a relaxed um, 
like children can play at the park and moms be sitting at the bench and moms aren't going to get up. Right. The moms are going to say, um, Hey, you there, you better watch it or whatever, but they're not going to get up. Absolutely. And they don't feel guilty about that. Um, the other thing, the other major difference I think is children during school holidays, a lot of times, even if they're three years old during school holidays, they can go to their grandparents for a week. That's right. Yes. And I think that that is wonderful. Right. That they have that relationship, that parents miss their children, but they don't feel guilty about having a week off. Absolutely. It is health. It's that. I think the French know self-care very well, right? Like they just, it's the way they live and, and they really get that. That's yeah. a great, I think, great. And you're part of a multicultural family. You yes. married someone from France. What is that like? I mean, have you experienced or thought a lot about that? Oh, yeah. we And we always, in um, like marital disputes, we're always like, yes. okay, wait a second. Is this a cultural difference or just a difference of opinion? Like, do we really care or is it just how we were raised? Yes. And I think everybody has that. We're just blessed enough to really be aware of it. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's things about, like, I wake up on Saturday and I'm like, Saturday's a work day. Right, exactly. Like, you work before you play. That's a spirit, right? Yeah. And my husband works so hard. He's such a good worker, but he also knows that it's okay to, like, take a few minutes and eat lunch. Right. Or two <sighs> so, hours. Yeah. If you're there yeah. in France, He's right? He's like, yes. and we'll still get it done. That is it, though. Yes. It all gets done. It does. So that is a great... And and raising kids within these these two worlds... Yes. ...is, I think, a really interesting... Because you... Interesting relationship and, and the way that they develop. Probably they have access to different worldviews and perspectives. Yes, I think so. Even the things where... Um, I want to stay really positive and like, oh, yeah, you did great. And my husband's like, we tell the truth bluntly. <laughs> you didn't yeah. do great. Yes. That is so... Having I, I was telling Jenna that I had lived in France for a year thinking that I would have the same fairy tale that Jenna... I did not. Um, but it's so interesting because you do see those differences in the way that we approach children or even just approach life. Yeah. And it's so interesting to see that play out. Yeah, it's added so much richness um, to my life. Yes, it is. And now you guys, your husband's a firefighter mm. and you're living uh, the the dream in small town Kansas, right? Yeah. Would you consider where you live a small town? I yes. So. Okay, yes. I was like, well, maybe it's not. Um, okay, can you... Is there anything you want to share with us, any recommendations or insights that you've learned from your parenting journey? Um, You know, I think that things aren't always how you expect. Now, I, my family joked that I was going to marry an Italian and move away, so I was not surprised that I married somebody from France. Oh, my God. I mean, dark curly hair is dark and curly, right. so it's fine. <laughs> You'll take it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but um, things that I didn't expect about my children um, and, like, what it would be like even to have four children. Yes. Like, even though I'm from a big family, it's been surprising to me. Like, four children is a lot of work. 
<gasps> yes. Like, there's actually right. four of them. Four times the laundry. Yeah. Four times the excitement. Well, and things where I thought that, um, you know, that I could be a stay-at-home mom and, you know, write in the evenings or, or something. I thought that I could do it right. all. Yes. And balancing that out of, okay, what do I really need? What do my kids really need? Yes. Maybe it's different than what I expected. Right. Um, and being willing to examine that and not holding to some idea that you've put out there or have believed and letting, being okay with change and examining what works for your life and for your family. Yes. And I think the other thing is learning from my husband who did not grow up around small children, but he's the most incredible intuitive parent. Oh, that's he just, yeah. he just knows. And actually listening to him and when he says no 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 this is this is what this this kid needs in this moment uh, and learning that I can even in my high strung anxiety ridden self I can relax and right. let them be with their father and that's beautiful yes that we I think that is one of the hardest things to me about parenting is the the relinquishing control because we don't always have all the answers and we have this great partner who is with us on this journey and allowing that to be. And I think that that is maybe a slightly French trait. When um, I'm walking around in the city in France, you often see dads wearing babies. They're the ones pushing the strollers. They're the ones giving the baby a bath and putting the baby to bed. Um, and that's just that's just normal life. And um, yes. like when my third born was a couple of days old, he was fussy and it was the middle of the night oh. and I just had third day blues and I was like, I don't know what to do. Right. Exactly. He's crying. Yeah. And my husband was like, It's your third baby. You don't know what to do. And you're like I was like, No. So he took the baby, he took this tiny newborn, he went downstairs. And they watched whatever scary, you know, action movie for hours. I woke up, like, at 7 o'clock the next morning ready to nurse. And, like, he had just stayed up all night with the baby, Mm -hmm. realizing that newborns, kids, they need their dad, too, in that way. And I can just let them do their thing. Oh, that's beautiful. It's so true. It is. I, I think, I, I also wonder about your life as a writer, because it's so interesting. You're, you're in this family environment with four children, and it's loud. It's probably a lot going on. And to have this solitary activity that requires a different part of you, a different part of of, of your mind and your heart, how do you how do you live in that, and what is it like to be a writer in today's world? Yeah, well, that's also a little bit different than what I expected, because when I started out freelancing 12 years ago, I was writing mostly for magazines, and I thought that that's what I would do. I would write fiction. I would write fiction children's books and sell it to magazines and things, and now I'm doing much more nonfiction and business, but... Um, with the kids, thankfully, I've had a lot of training, and so I can't write in silence. But We're going to have to turn on, you know, something to watch, turn on music. I write in the noisiest part of the house. That is incredible. And I've learned 
how to do snippets of, you know, um, writing for 15 minutes and then somebody needs to go to the bathroom and stopping in the middle of a sentence so I know, like, what was coming next because I know how to finish that sentence. Or, you know, having snippets ready in my mind that I want to write down that I put in my phone so that when I come back to it, I have that reminder. And just doing it in punchy little bits but also um, my little stint in journalism taught me how to um, not wait around for inspiration. It, you have a deadline. It needs to be done now. So think about it. Put it down. The kids are asleep. You've got two hours until you fall asleep. Go. Right. And it is that. It, it is, I think, you have honed your craft in a way that you can you don't allow yourself t- the time wasters of Googling endlessly. Oh, I'm yeah, so- I oh, do that. <laughs> oh, totally. No, 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 no. I am afraid to put anything on my phone that would tell me how many hours oh. I've spent on social media. Right. That's too scary. I can't I can't handle that. I had no idea. Because you seem like you, you've just started to adjust your media in May. Yeah. Tell us about that and what it's like. To start your own business. I mean, you've been it's writing, really scary. but now you're, you've, you have an LLC. Yes. So this is serious. Okay. Yes. Well, so after freelancing for years uh-huh. and it kind of being my mompreneur hobby that, you know, I wasn't going to put any money into. Right. You know, so it's like, well, once the laptop is dead, that's too bad. You know, I'm not going to invest into myself and my hobby. Um, so then realizing from journalism how much I love talking to people and then writing because I'm not an introvert hermit writer. Yes. I need I need people and I need that breathing space, but then I want to go home and quietly, you know, write it out. And so seeing that nonfiction is a need in the world uh-huh. and it's also um, profitable because exactly. fiction Fiction is kind of iffy. Right. Yes. (laughs) So then seeing where's this need and where can I connect um, what I can do with business owners. So um, I work with chiropractors who have their small business, who don't have time to blog. Absolutely. But who want to educate and engage their clients. And so I my my little line is that in a 15-minute interview, I can write a 500-word post. That's incredibly efficient, too. Well, it it takes time. It takes time to write it. But you can churn out information that is helpful to everyone. Yeah, everybody who has a spine. Right, exactly. (laughs) So, so yeah. Um, So, I'm working on that and really blessed with with wonderful clients and, and seeing where that goes and... Um, yeah, and, and it's it's scary. It's scary to actually call it a business and actually invest into myself yes. in that way. And that is that leads. That's a great segue that we didn't even plan. Um, I always like to ask people what courage means to them, mm-hmm. and it feels like you're living that courage. Like, well, and yes, I think you know it is. I think. Courage is dramatic in the things of moving to another country and leaving everything you know. 
but it's also the um, it's the mundane things yes. like putting your children in school for the first time. Yes. But then it's um, I like to quote movies, the uh, yes. Sleepless in Seattle, mm -hmm. when he says, "I'm gonna wake up every day, and I'm gonna breathe in and out." And to me, that's courage too. Just every day when it's like, "I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna breathe in and out." Oh. That's beautiful. I have the good because it is so true that we want to believe that courage is this great big thing that we have to take some big step and move to another country or mm -hmm. but it is in our everyday life. It is existing and breathing and being present when it feels like it would be easier to Yeah. To not do that. Or yeah. to run away or to, you know, as a parent. I'm sure you've never had this experience, but like, I'm gonna just go for a day somewhere quiet. Yeah. But it seems like you have really. You have taken what works for you and what works for your family and made a life out of that. Well, and I think it's something that we keep working on to try and figure out what is, like I want to know for myself what is true to myself and what is just coping. Um, what is, you know, whether it's being um, really loud and defiant or whether it's being, you know, quiet and holding up or, or whether it's finding boundaries and therapy. Absolutely. And so figuring out what works and what is actually true to myself and what's not just dysfunction. Yes. And that and that takes I mean that's hard work. It's not it's easier to live outside of that exploration sometimes. Mm. I think about that as it relates to resilience too. Like how how have you become this resilient being who isn't that a good, like, that's a really crazy question, but. Well, and I don't, I think that, um, I think that maybe what it actually is, is maybe I have this little shell of resilience and underneath I'm still just broken mm. and scared and um, ashamed and, um, and I, I think that, I still, I have to keep going back and being like, you know what? You're the 21-year-old that left everything and moved yes. to another country. You've, you've you. done this before. Yes. You, like, you can do, you gave birth naturally. You can do anything. You can do anything. This is the truth. Yes. And so maybe it's just this little, little cracked veneer that, that. Right. But and and what we say to ourselves matter, right? That mm. that you are telling yourself, I can do this, and it's okay to be vulnerable and real and have this inside that's scared and and un unaware of what's around the corner. But at yet the same time, you're willing to try. We t we talked yeah. a bit about this before we were recording that we. You keep trying. We keep trying. Yeah. Well, and maybe, maybe it is even if, even if we go to therapy and 
do these things and try to be resilient and things, try to make the good choices. Maybe we still end up, you know, being having a meltdown in the driveway. But but maybe it is also that the next day we say, okay, what are the good choices that I should make today? That's the truth. You know, sometimes I um, think about, and someone very wise said this to me, that you can't always expect your first reaction Mm. to be the right reaction, but it's the second reaction that defines you and that matters. That's really good. I was like, oh my gosh, because we we are bombarded by by reality and life and we get when we get to choose we show who we are and and we show up in who we want to be I sure hope so (laughs) I know that about you like it is I I think about all the things that led up to this to our our lives and who we are and I wonder about I was going to ask you about your childhood. Do you? Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. I wonder about what it was like to grow up in small town, Kansas, as I did, and what that looked like for you and how that defines you now. Yeah. Well, so I'm the second of 10, a good homeschool family, and I always talk about what a joyful childhood I had and what a happy childhood I had. Um, and then, you know, growing up and seeing like, um, the, the good things, how that affected my life, um, that I love to read, that I love to write, um, that I'm curious, that I love to learn, um, and that I have strong bonds with my siblings, um, and that, um, that my childhood gave me all of these things. And then I do... I always want to look back, but look forward and see. So for my children, yes, because their childhood is happening now. Yes. So what things, um, what fears that I had that I don't want my little girl to have? What um, obsessions um, did I have that I I don't want my kids to be worried about? Right, and that you get to. Because you've experienced this, you get to support them. You know what they need and you can expect. But we're also living in an entirely new world with mm. social media. And, I mean, you are younger than I am. But <laughs> but it's it's different. It's changed the, the look of what childhood yeah. is. Well, and even, even in the simple ways my daughter said today, that she didn't want to get a first grade book out of the library at school, even though that would be a better choice for her for practicing reading um, because she thought her friends would think she was a baby. And I don't know what five years ago, what I would have told her. I might have told her, you sneak it out, you know, or, you know, you just don't let them see or whatever. I don't know what I would have said. But now today I looked in her eyes and I was like, their opinion doesn't matter. And if they're going to be mean and rude, then we really don't need to listen right. to their opinion. Yep. And so if they're mean and rude, then you tell them, please stop being re- rude and mean. This is the book I want to read. <gasps> Good. But that is so... And also that she's able to say this articulate. Yeah. She's able to go to you as her trusted source to say, 
this is what I'm feeling and what do I do about this? Yeah. That's beautiful. Well, and just that at this young age, she's seven, um, you know, before she has social media or anything where, I mean, that same issue in a different dress would come up. But that is, yes. Oh, that is beautiful. And I think that your approach to parenting is informed by your experiences as a child and what you are, what you want for them mm. and what lessons you want to give them. Yeah. I often think about that. What are the main themes in your parenting journey that you have found that are most important or compelling to you? Um, one of them is that I don't have to have all of the answers, that there are there is whole fields of science that uh, and art and mm-hmm. other things. I don't actually have to be everything to my child. They can go to play therapy. They can go to occupational therapy. They can go to speech therapy. They can go to an art teacher. They can go to a writing teacher. That that I can participate and show up for them in those areas. But that's been really good. That's a, a theme that I keep coming back to of, oh, wait a minute. I, I don't have to act like I have all the answers for you. That's it. Yes. Um, I think... Um, maybe another theme is just, um, just relaxing and enjoying them. Yes. Um, someone said that recently that they have like four keywords for their children and one of them was like lead and, you know, teach those kinds of things that we think of. One of them was just enjoy. And I thought about that all summer and I want to just enjoy them. That is beautiful because we often are in a whirlwind. We, we're overscheduled, over consume. And so, how do we take time to enjoy what's mm. happening now, our children, the present moment, and loving them when, when they need it? And, and that's now, that's in this experience. Yeah. That's really, and I also think about. I guess your gifts to your children is also of the written word that they will, do you have um, tools? Because I know for me as a child, journaling meant so much to my experience and how, you know, I'm very taken by narrative psychology. Yes. In that what we construct and the stories tells us a lot about who we are and what we create in our minds. Yes. Well, actually, that's really interesting, and I don't know if you want to use this bit, but since we're recording this on 9-11, it makes me think about on 9-11, I was 15, or I think-ish. Yes. 14. No, I was 15. Yes. Okay, so I started writing letters to my daughter on 9-11 because I knew, like, this is huge. Like, the world is falling apart. This could be the apocalypse. This could be World War III. What's happening? And so I started writing letters to her. Um, at that point, I called her Evelyn. And so I have all these boxes of all of these little pieces of paper um, that I wrote for my children because I wanted them to know what it felt like to think the world was going to end 18 years ago. That is... So at some point, um, like we've talked about what happened. Yes. And um, 
and they're not ready. They're just little. Exactly. They're not ready to read those. But at some point, I'm going to say, okay, guys, isn't it funny that I called you Evelyn, and now there's three boys here to listen to these stories too, but oh. we'll pull them out. And I don't... That is beautiful. And you were 15 mm. and knew that that your your voice and your the act of writing was was what you could give or what what mattered in that moment. And it was the only thing that I could do that made that to make sense of what yes. was happening. To just say like man, I don't is I don't like know. are my friends older brothers going to be drafted? Are right. they going to sign up? Like what is actually happening? Oh my gosh. And if you think about it from the time when you were 15, you don't have Sometimes we don't have the perspective as a 15-year-old as we do. But we all felt that, regardless mm. of what age you were. Yeah. And, and that is part of our national narrative. And yeah. how do we contextualize that for our children? Mm-hmm. And at the same time, you have this beautiful piece of family history that you've written to your children when you were 15. That is incredible. Yeah. I hadn't even thought about that until you said it, but... Oh my goodness! I, I that would be a that would be a fascinating book. I know it's probably personal. You don't <laughs> want to share, but that is an incredible gift that you have for your children. Do you do you have any tips for parents who might want to write? Do you write letters to your children now? Okay, I do. Um, not often, but um, with each newborn. I've written them a letter and just wanting to make sure that they had something of me no matter what, always. And so um, my poor children, they'll probably, like, if I move to a nursing home and they're packing up the house, they'll be like, Mom has these letters everywhere. (laughs) Like, oh, they're in your baby book and they're in the safe. And they're... So, yes. But every once in a while, when I think about it, now that I've thought about it, I'll probably have to go home and do it. But yes. to just sit down and write, um, I think just really what I'm feeling yes, um, and what I hope for them and just maybe maybe just sharing for parents, share a little bit of who you are right now. Like if in that vulnerable way yes. of saying, um, you know, my children at their ages will remember me at 33, but um, this is what I was actually feeling at 33. Oh, that is beautiful. I think this should be a challenge to us all because oftentimes we rush through and don't take the time to reflect or to also give our children that gift of who we are at mm-hmm. this age, in this moment, when they are this, the, you know, 10 to 1. Yeah. Well, they'll, prob- my, they'll probably think that I was pretty self-centered about my work because they'll, they'll have... They have binders of articles and pages printed out, and I'm all, oh. I'm such a sentimental person that there's there's a lot of um, cubby holes of words everywhere. That is, do you organize all these? I mean, the articles are in a binder. I am so impressed with because they're not just randomly scattered no, throughout. No. There's a couple the unfinished books, the eight to twelve yes. year old books. Though um, two of them are unfinished on the computer, so good luck, kids. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
But um, yes, if those are ever finished, um, when, they will be off of the computer, and they will be because you have you have written a book co. Help someone co-write yes. and then published a book. Yes, we self-published a memoir about um, a foster care mother um, who had ninety or upwards of ninety children that she fostered or adopted or did um, respite care for. So um, I helped um, her, Dorothy Perez, write her book. Um, it's what if I can say yes. it right? What I'm going to be when they grow up. <gasps> So I helped her with that, but it's really her book written how she wanted it with right. the information she wanted, but maybe someday there'll be a sequel that is more in-depth. But I can't wait for that sequel. And I also can't wait to see the work that you do because I think that you embody what it means to be reflective and, and compassionate and un- you're knowing because I think what it takes for us to to be a to be a writer is that felt sense of the world and in the world, mm. and it seems like it 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 comes naturally to you. Well, and maybe in a way it comes through me, oh. like maybe it just exists and comes through me too, and then I don't have a choice. I think that um, that I have to write like if it wasn't a career I would still be the grandma journaling and expecting somebody to care at some point um but yeah it it, I think maybe I do think about the world but then it it can't stay in me I think I would go crazy so it just has to come out so there's a bunch of half-written journals somewhere I love that have you read Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert I have not yet I think it's on my Kindle but I think my Kindle is being stubborn right is acting up yeah well she talks about that inspiration comes to visit us have you mm. heard this I did oh that's my why gosh. I was like I think I have to read this it is so so if it, it, for our sweet little listeners out there if uh, inspiration comes to visit us and if we do not act on it it will go to the next person down the line because it's yeah. it needs to be the, there's some story needs to be told in her in her book she talks about yeah well there's a book um by William Zinser I'm not sure if it's right about your life or his other one but he said we're responsible for our stories. Like, God gives us these stories. Like, yes, our stories do come to us. And if we're, we're responsible for that, if we're not going to tell it, then what are we doing? Oh, that is so true, though. Yeah. It's, it's a scary, it's a heavy responsibility, though, I think, for all of us. Whether we're writers or not, whether it's something, some wisdom we're supposed to tell our grandchildren or some good word that we're supposed to tell the lady at the grocery store to encourage her, I, I don't know. But I think in some way, whether like you and your work, um, to help people in what way are we supposed to tell our story, but it's our responsibility. Oh, that is, I don't even know what to say because we're, uh, I am so grateful to you, and I feel like we need to do part two on specifically how to tell your story mm. and what that would look like because I think so all too often we live in these shoulds and these 
worlds of perfectionism and we stop ourselves from starting. Yeah. Where I think, and that's such a good point. And I think that everybody does have a story. And that's one of my passions is to help people see that their story matters. Um, And also to see that, like you said, perfectionism doesn't exist, whatever your style is for writing your story, whether it's a flowery, poetic, and Voskamp style, or whether it's a really, um, you know, practical, nonfiction, Rachel Hollis kind, um, we all have a story that should come out in one way or another, whether it's watercolors or Or, words or music or something. My gosh, I feel so grateful to you, Jenna. I don't even, I think this has been the most illuminating and and gut-wrenching. I don't know another word for this because you have made a call to action to all of us that we give our, our children and those around us and those that come after us are stories because they are important and they they do matter. Yeah, well, you're you're so kind. I feel like you've really listened and helped me too. So I'm so grateful. Thank you for your time. Well, I thank I, you for having me. I really think we need to do another one though. Thank you, Jenna. I'm so grateful.